wrong <clears throat> wrong song. Bala su ayo. Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And today we are really excited to have um, co-director Brad J. Bennett join us to talk about a beautiful new film, Unmarked that looks at the legacy of slavery um, and the way that the people who were enslaved were basically, um, when they passed, uh, their grave sites either disappeared um, or were built over and remain unmarked, except for, uh, you know, the work that is being done um, in in, uh, Virginia that is chronicled in this wonderful film. Good morning, Brad. How are you? Doing well, Wanda. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you could make it. Um, maybe while we're talking, uh, maybe you could send me the trailer and we could play it at the end of our conversation because I wasn't able to um, download it because I didn't have permission. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I can definitely yeah. do that. Okay, excellent, excellent, because it would be really great for our audience to be able to hear it. It is such a beautiful film. I mean, you really pack, <laughs> you and um, your uh, co-director, um, Chris Haley, you really pack a whole lot into, you know, a really finite space. Um, is it to be continued? <laughs> it it definitely could be. There was, there was so many different storylines that we wanted to expound upon that we didn't, uh, weren't able to in that 40-minute that run. Um, mm-hmm. It was due largely to funding and other things of those sorts, but um, yeah, no, it's 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 been a passion project of ours for several years now. Okay, okay, awesome. We can definitely tell there there's passion and compassion in in this this work that is so gently rendered, yet like all the folks that you're speaking to and their direct connection to the land. And, yes. and the people and and that, you know, institution that sits right there, a lot of institutions, but, you know, the college, um, Briar College, and the central role that it plays in the whole excavation of 
of the cemetery. Like the cemetery is right there. The people are right there. It in really plain is. View. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's on the school yeah. grounds, and uh, they. I think every year they have a <clears throat> a kind of commemorative uh, ceremony of sorts to commemorate um, what they call the Invisible Founders. Um, and so they gather a lot of the students there to, to kind of commemorate the work, um, obviously the enslaved work that that happened. Um, but yeah, it's just a touching, a touching uh, a day that they present um, for the uh, the students there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, people might say, "Well, I'm not from Virginia." However, this particular story. It's just one instance <laughs> in a larger yes. story about where are these honored ancestors? Where are they? And we're walking on them. That's you know, it. We're, That's we're it. building just, on them. You, I mean, like. Mm-hmm. So true. It's uh, There's so many instances that we've come across um, just these areas in which these individuals are buried that are often so overlooked and you know there are plans to go ahead and and like as you said just build on top of their their graves which is just horrible instance that people would even conjure that you know they would they would allow corporate greed that way to um to to just kind of take over uh where these people are laid to rest it's 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 horrible and so that's, I mean, that's part of the reason that we made this film is to kind of expose those injustices. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to let our audience know who you are, um, you know, read your read your bio. <laughs> and the sure. film is available, um, I think, is, is it HBO? Is that where um, it had its debut earlier this week? Uh, it was actually on uh, Apple iTunes. Um, oh, Apple iTunes. That's okay. where. Yes. No. 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 It's fine. And um, it's available there and uh, through our distributor, which mm-hmm. is first one feature. So if you go to that page, you can you can you can find the film. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are a Japanese American filmmaker and award-winning yeah. producer based in Virginia. Um, uh, you're a co-producer of the film Unmarked. Um, you're uh, the other uh, producer is. Um, is Chris Haley, as in Alex Haley's um, descendant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he joins us to talk about Unmarked. Yeah, I was like, Chris Haley, like, for real, for real? Like, for real, for real. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, got a chance to go to Jufre in uh, Gambia and meet his people. <laughs> yeah, So it's really exciting. What an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have a lot of chiefs in in Gambia that are women, and I met one of them. It's like that's, you know, that's my aunt, that's my descendant, you know, um, you know, that's my that's, relative that's in amazing. America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really cool. That's such a that's such an important bit of like just to know like who. I mean, it's incredible that you got to go back and visit your family, your ancestors, there, and so many people don't have that opportunity and so that's another reason we made this film is just to kind of give people a reverence for uh, their heritage you know to find or at least want to know more about their uh, their past 
that way. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 uh it's definitely great to be able to connect folks with uh with their history. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I mean that was Chris's relatives, not mine, but it was still neat. And, and Obama was in his first term, and everybody they had pictures of President Obama all in oh, the, and course. the first family all yeah. over the place. And in the preschool, yeah, no, they 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 had Obama's you know picture of the family walking, and 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 they would say American Obama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know we all know you know he has his roots in Kenya. I didn't get a chance to go yep. to Kenya, but I was in East Africa. Yeah, but the whole of the continent, you know, celebrated him and us. And so it's not like we're forgotten, um, you know, no. by uh, by those of our, our relatives that might not know us personally, um, but know that they suffered a loss in their family yes. structure. So, so this right here, you know, your film. Um, oh, I was reading your bio, and I keep on interrupting myself. <laughs> <laughs> we will come back to it. But, yeah, your film is, I mean, you know, um, all the people you speak to, um, you know, you could just feel and feel the personal connection. Uh, one person mm-hmm. mentions um, the names. You know, God, we're still carrying the names of these of the, of the enslavers. Um, yes. And it's not just last yes. names, it's first names. Because I look at my family tree, and I'm like, dang, the owner's, you know, the first names are, are recycled with, you know, enslaved Africans Africans yeah. name their children by those names and then you have the surname as well. So even if you get rid of the surname you still got the first name. So it's like like where is the separation? If there is a separation so and and then honoring the dead, you know, and then what about the veterans? <laughs> and just as an enslaved descendant of an enslaved African, you know, these people my people built this nation, so everyone is honored and a hero. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's 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 kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. Like just how many mm-hmm. contributions were made over those that period, 150 years, and then some. Um, mm-hmm. And to to know that largely those people were not commemorated at all in any way and so again yeah that's just another bit that we wanted to touch on and and to um to let people know about through this film Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i was just you know and you're you know reading your bio you know your first feature documentary forgive don't forget chronicles the search for family on the other side of the world in order to return an heirloom taken during world war ii and your film uh, won a Grand Jury Award for Best Documentary Feature at the 2017 Guam International Film Festival. And Forgive Not a, uh, Forget was acquired by Gravitas. Um, is, that, is that how you pronounce it, Gravitas? Gravitas, Gravitas yeah. Gravitas, mm-hmm. thank you. Ventures in 2018 and released on Hulu in the United States and on the Roku channel and TVP internationally. Uh, Internationally, um, your work has been uh, supported by IFP, um, Southern Documentary Fund, Virginia Film Office, A Hyphen Doc, and the UCLA Documentary Film Legal Clinic. And so, um, as a Japanese American, you've got these kind of stories in your heritage too, don't you? Is this film about that? I do, and it's it's 
it's interesting because it's something that I um, didn't fully identify with until later in life. I, uh, I'm actually biracial, and so being Japanese-American, um, that part of me uh, came later, like I said. So basically, my, my grandmother, she, uh, she married or met my uh, grandfather in Japan. My grandfather was in the Air Force and um, brought her back as a quote-unquote war bride. And so when she came to the States, she quickly assimilated. And so she lost a lot of her culture. Um, and, she, you know, she didn't really teach her children Japanese. Um, I mean, little hints of it here and there. But I was always fascinated with, um, with learning more about where uh, my grandmother was from and so she would teach me a little bit here and there it wasn't until like later in my life um that i uh came to really wonder about my roots and uh, until this 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 film um this documentary project came about so a friend who lives in my town um in virginia he uh his grandfather was in world war ii and brought back these swords and so um he was just like I, I have this kind of fleeting idea that you know I would like love to 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 give this sword back to the family that once owned it, and it just kind of ended there. He's like I don't really know what to do with it because there's the sword and it has a name tag on it, but I don't I don't read you know Japanese, and so I said my grandmother lives here in town and she she could look at it, and so she basically gave us a name and a rank of that soldier and from there on we we went and searched uh, for the family and that was a six year six year long project uh, but it wasn't in three trips to japan so i you know while going over there i was able to to really kind of connect you know with a past that i really didn't know much about but i'm so thankful for that experience because it gave me some grounding for sure yeah, how oh, wonderful. I guess as a director, um, you know, each each time you, you know, you follow a story, um, even though, you know, you think, well, this is this is not me, it actually mm-hmm. is always about you, isn't it? Yeah. Like you're in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, surprisingly that <laughs> that was a a part that we included was kind of that journey of, of trying to to obviously find the family that owned this, but then, you know, connecting with uh, mm-hmm. your own past that way, yeah. So. Right, right, yeah. And and so then, you know, um, I don't know how you and Chris Haley um, met, but you can talk to us about that. Sure. However, you know, sure. like, a, like we're talking, there's like a, a direct, direct connection, you know, between, um, you know, sort of the unmarked and the unacknowledged, sure. and even the criminalized. You know, we're thinking about Japanese-Americans. You know, you're fighting yes. in World War II, yet your folks are in internment yes. camps. Like, what? Like, such a, you know, the, the, the uh, I guess the incongruence of that is, is really, yeah, like, mind-boggling. No, it really is when you think about it, the connection there. But, yeah, so Chris, Chris and I met, actually through that same film that I mentioned. Um, oh. Chris is the executive director of uh, Utopia Film Festival. And uh, my film was screening there. And um, I had just 
heard of of uh, there was a cemetery in uh, Richmond, Virginia, that's featured in this document or in in, in unmarked. And uh, so I had contacted some of the descendants and volunteers early on, but really hadn't done much work there to start. Um, and but all the while, I uh, contacted uh, Chris. Um, when my film was when it, when it was time for my film to uh, screen at um, his festival, and I had just mentioned in passing because I had actually learned of, of Chris's background. You know, he is the director for the study of, of the study of slavery for the state of Maryland, and mm-hmm. also learning that he was a nephew of Alex Haley. I mean, I knew that <laughs> the relevancy to the project that I had an idea for was was a uh, was you know it was like a perfect joining of sorts and so i had mentioned i had messaged chris prior to the festival and uh when we met up he showed interest in it because you know he has a he has a background in and all of his background in, in um, genealogy research and so he he was privy to to the, a film of this sort and so chris really helped me craft the story because obviously me being Japanese American, Japanese American, this is not of my, this story in particular is not of my community. And obviously I wanted someone with that connection to tell the story and to help tell it and um, guide that kind of tone throughout. So Chris was, uh, Chris was obviously perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So tell our audience about the film, um, you know, all of these great Stories, the family. Sure. You know, you got you got politicians. You got folks that are um, historians, and mm. yeah, it's just it's a really great and it's so beautiful. Um, who you. does the cinematography? Is that you? It was me for the most part, but um, <clears throat> you know, we we definitely had other people helping shoot at different locations. But um, I typically, you know, when, when I'm filming. Uh, scenes, individuals, you know, I'm, I'm not very um, bombastic or for lack of a better word, or just someone that kind of gets in your face and grills you. You know, I, I let things happen as they should naturally. And so I feel like when you mentioned, you know, some of these stories and, and, and just messages throughout the film that, they kind of are elegant in a way of telling this kind of beautiful story of these individuals. Um, that kind of came naturally, I feel like, um, just with that kind of style in mind. But, you know, as far as who or who was featured in this, uh, we, we talked to descendants of um, the enslaved communities. Uh, we talked to archaeologists, um, uh, all sorts of individuals that have kind of a connection to this um, subject matter, um, and it it played out well, I think. Um, yeah, I I don't know if there's a specific um, section or, or part of the film yeah. that was worth um, mm-hmm. discussing, maybe. Yeah. Yes, yes, I I do have some specific because um, I was taking notes and I'm like I can't write 
names fast enough. I gotta. <laughs> so, so I'm writing. Okay, so um, you know, I'm jotting down Charles White's um, historians. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know what he talked about, loved him, um, <clears throat> and uh, and then uh, was it Jasper Fletcher and yeah. Julie and uh, who else? And then yeah. the woman who is the first person, and then Brian Palmer loved him. Outdoor archives. Yeah. You know, it's like his yes. wife has supervision, like she could identify <laughs> <laughs> the markers under yes. the ground, like she could see down, like there's an answer yeah. down there, drill here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. that's something worth highlighting right there. So the work that, that Brian Palmer and his wife Erin did at um, mm-hmm. East End Cemetery, which is one of the cemeteries that we primarily um, filmed uh, during the course of several years, the preservation work that they did, I can't begin to tell you just how much work went into their volunteerism. I don't know if that's even a word, but basically they were there day in, day out with, with others, of course, but they kind of led the way of of um, preserving uh, the cemetery, this historic black cemetery. Um, and it, it was a segregated cemetery. I don't know if a lot of folks know that, but in Richmond, this is a cemetery um, that, actually holds the grave sites. Well, there's there, there are two two cemeteries right next to each other. So it's East End and then Evergreen. And I believe in Evergreen's where Maggie Walker lays and I don't know if you know that name, but Maggie Walker was the first African American woman who was the president of a bank. Um this is in the early nineteen oh, hundreds yeah. I believe. Yeah, I think Vox Yeah, I have heard of her. Alice yeah. did a piece on her. Yeah, mm-hmm. but she goes largely unmarked like the others. I mean, she does have a mark even um, less than, uh, I think, less than a decade. You know, people that went out to visit the relatives buried in these, um, both cemeteries could hardly get to where their family members were buried because there's so much brush, so much greenery. I mean, this plot of land is literally, it looks like you're walking through a forest. Um, and you wouldn't think that this is a cemetery because they're used to seeing cemeteries as this kind of gated, beautiful, well-kept area. But um, folks just didn't have the means of, of, of keeping it up. Um, there are so many graves, and um, the descendants and volunteers can only do but so much work um, to keep it keep it up because it, you, you need that kind of national, I mean, should be national, but you know, even citywide backing to, to, to upkeep these cemeteries. And um, people in the African-American community did not have that in Virginia until uh, legislation was uh, uh, entered into during the course of the filming of this uh, film. So, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of history, a lot of interesting um, times happened during the, the course of, of, of making this film, for sure. Right, right, and and who was the um, uh, the legislature person who um, who you interviewed a, a number of times yeah. in the film? Yeah, her name is uh, Dolores McQuinn, and mm-hmm. she actually wrote um, the bill that was introduced uh, into the House. I think eventually the Senate and it was approved uh, for statewide funding for these historic black cemeteries in Virginia. Right, right, because what's mentioned is that, um, and it, it might be um, um, 
<clears throat> the person who I mentioned, um, let's see, where's my note? Uh, uh, Brian, it might be, um, I'm not sure if it was his wife or not, but they were um, mm. <clears throat> saying that, you know, like if you look across at the Confederate cemetery, it's all yes. pristine. And and then you you know you see these you know broken and um, you know and and leaning and and or not even existing um, markers you know for for enslaved Africans who are buried beneath um, you know that's yes. you know definitely um, something that needs to be uh, corrected and um and and then they were talking about uh, and then i saw i saw in in the film there were there were there were actually these stories are documented in in some some books <laughs> with with pictures yeah. and names and yeah yeah um could you talk a little bit more about um about briar um college and and the significance of that particular space and and i'm not sure if that's the one that has like hundreds of of unmarked graves um, on on the property, and did I read somewhere that the college is closing? Uh, the college was supposed to close several years back. Um, okay. Can't remember the reason, but they, they they got the funding now, and so yes, they're, they're oh, full, good, full good. Back. Yes, yes. But um, to your question about um, Sweetbriar specifically, um, mm-hmm. what I'm trying to remember. Sorry, I think the question flew oh, in my mind oh, there for a you second. Know, some what, of the what about Sweetbriar? Yeah, there were there were books, and also um, the significance of that space is that there are so many graves there. Mm. No, that, that so, are yeah. unmarked. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, the, so there is a one area, a plot where there's at least, to my knowledge, there was, uh, you know, probably ten or less. And that's kind of like the the one area in which um, the college keeps, uh, you know, it's it, it's like a plot of land that they upkeep and acknowledge, again, who 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 the the enslaved were that worked at the college. Uh, but as far as hundreds, I don't know. There was an off-site um, place that we watched with Crystal Rosen which is um, a descendant that we feature, and she's walking over a church cemetery. I don't know if that's okay. what you're referring to. Maybe but basically that's the one. There's mm-hmm. Possibly. And we were just walking over this church uh, grounds. And so there are mm-hmm. some graves that are, that are there in March, but literally as we're walking over um, just the grounds of the church, she's like, there are people buried underneath here. Um, mm-hmm where there were no markings at all because they didn't have a means of doing so or having that uh, mm-hmm. provided for them. So, right. Yeah. It's just, it's was that was that Evergreen? Was that Evergreen Church um, where you were walking? Because I, I think I jotted down. I was trying to write down. Evergreen. The, the lo- was uh, that Evergreen? Or? Evergreen, no. So Evergreen's in, no? in Richmond. Yeah, okay. Evergreen's in Richmond. Okay. But <laughs> I... Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of back and forth. We we go all over Virginia and and in other places in the South. Here here's an interesting story. So when we mm. went to um, uh, we were touring um, that film I mentioned before. This is the previous film in Alabama. 
um, we went to a site called Forks of Cyprus, which was a plantation. Chris, uh, it came out later after we visited that site, there were a couple hundred, um, couple hundred enslaved burial sites there. Um, and uh, it came out that uh, there was a list of names there. They have a plaque of sorts um, and listing the names. I think Jackson was the last name. And Chris, uh, once he had, once he had uh, got word that we were filming there, I told him that we were filming there. He said, I think that's actually where one of his ancestors were buried. Just crazy. Mm. So I think Alex yeah. Kelly wow. of one of his other novels, I think it was Queen. <laughs> yeah. Queen, mm-hmm. I believe her name was Queen Jackson. And so uh, that's a burial site in which we think um, – Chris's ancestors might have been. So it's just crazy to see this come full circle where, you know, even the, the co-director of the film has a, a direct connection um, to one of the sites that you're filming at. It's just it's mm, mm-hmm. mind-boggling, really. So, right. But, yes, we, we filmed all over uh, the South for this film. We went to Georgia, uh, Alabama, Virginia, even in Maryland, Um uh, there, there's several sites there. I don't know if you recall the uh, the animation story in there of uh, Cinderella and Abram Brogdon. Um, she yes. was an enslaved. Yes, she was an enslaved worker at Belvoir Plantation, and Chris brought the I say the story. I mean it's a true story uh, mm-hmm. up through uh, documents uh, at the. At, at the Maryland State Archives. Um, so he actually has papers that prove, they give a description of, of this woman and her husband, who was a free worker. And uh, they, the, the story goes that um, the owner of the plantation planned to sell Cinderella. And um, so her husband um, decided to uh, help her out and escape that the plantation, and so um, that story is kind of uh, documented in our film through through illustrations and animations. But we were actually able to incorporate real documents um, from their time. The I guess the overseer had a put out an ad, like they, they called it a slave runaway ad, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, published that in the Baltimore Sun, I believe it was. And so you actually see historical uh, descriptions of of uh, Cinderella. And so, you know, but the biggest thing is that we wanted to, to show a story, that story in particular, and really humanize these two individuals. Because, you know, you see artifacts, you can read about artifacts in the history books, but, like, you never really – you know, it's just something that you read. It's a you can't really visualize who that person might be, um, and so you know, just through the arts, we're able to kind of illustrate, you know, what who these people were. Um, you know, obviously, creatively, we don't have an actual photo photograph of them, but you know, I think it really does bring in a, a human element to to all of this and and really uh, commemorate. Um, these people in our history. Right, yes, yes. Um, yeah, we don't have a whole lot of 
more time, but I just really wanted to um, thank you for mentioning the story, the love story, which um, sure. has has really a tragic a tragic conclusion, and and just the whole yes. name Cinderella. Like, wow, this is a real Cinderella here, um, <laughs> and 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 what happens, you know, when you know. Um, you know, she's getting ready to get sold away, and her husband, who is free, ends up being, yes. you know, imprisoned because you know he wanted he had he had no rights <laughs> to having a family with this woman who was not free, and and then mm-hmm. I think when when he um, uh, was uh, trying to well, when they escaped briefly, um, you know, she had had a child, so it's really really sad, but. The illustrator, oh, my goodness, it's so beautiful. And your narration, I want you to give a shout-out to other parts of your creative team. Yes, <laughs> yes most definitely. So Miss Leslie Olabisi, um, she did the narration. Uh, let's see. Uh, my friend Maurice Preston did the theme music for Unmarked, the, the intro, and then also the um, song. Uh, so many, so many people. Really, it's hard to think of everyone. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a powerful, powerful group of individuals that really gave of their time to to help create this film. So definitely thankful right. to everyone involved. Yeah, well, congratulations on this wonderful work. And um, I have the um, the, the trailer up, so um, I think we're going to conclude with that. It's only about a minute and a half. Um, any um, sure. how do so how so people can go to um, uh, Apple TV Apple yeah. Films and okay yeah exactly if they go to any of the Apple sites and look up Unmarked you know either Apple TV or iTunes they should be able to find it it's also available through Amazon uh, DVDs okay um, hard copies that way but yes okay super and then what's the website for for the film. Sure. If you go to unmarkedfilm.com, uh, you can find out more information there. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And your film, Forgive, Don't Forget, is it available still? I I believe it's 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 available through several different platforms. Yeah. If you Google it, you should you should be able to find <laughs> it. So thank you so much for plugging that. Oh, no problem. So looking forward to other projects coming out between you and Chris Haley and um, yes. in part two of Unmarked because. Yeah, there's a whole lot more that you could have said. Oh, yeah. But you do a great job <laughs> in the moments that you have. <laughs> the 40, 40 minutes, it's really, yes. really well spent. Congratulations thank on this man. wonderful work. Thank you. Thank and thank you, you so much have for joining day. us. To yes. Peace and blessings. What I know of my family history definitely began as folklore. People haven't wanted to discuss these histories because it's difficult. It's not associated with, with power or happiness in a lot of ways. Many people of African descent have no knowledge where their ancestors are and what they're connected to. There are many of these places across the country and particularly in the South. Cemeteries that have been neglected, starved of resources. We need to bring black history into our schools. People like to hear the good about history. What they didn't want to tell was some of these horror stories. They like for slaves to say, well, my master was good to me. They like that. A lot of times people ask me, how many slave cemeteries 
are there in Virginia. It's clear that there are hundreds of slave cemeteries in most of our counties. This is an outdoor archive. This is where one will find records of people who may not have been recorded. The present is most definitely built on a documented past that we need to understand if we're going to have any kind of agency over the future. This is not Richmond's history. This is not Virginia's history. This is American's history. The contribution has been made by so many people to building America. That side of the story must be told. Graves is a place of honor, but if we don't have no concern about the graves, then we lose our history. Either you care about it or you don't. Either it's, it's important to you or it isn't. Ah, yeah, Unmarked, directed by Brad Bennett and Chris Haley, and it's available on Apple and also Amazon. And we are, thank you so much um, for hanging in there. We're so excited to have in the studio uh, Rachel Jackson, Nell Myhan, and Judy Greenspan to talk about quite a few things. But International Workers' Day is one of them, um, May Day. And there's an action that is uh, being called tomorrow, meeting up at Lake Merritt BART at 2.30. And then there's going to be a caravan and a rally to be announced. <laughs> and also uh update on what's happening with um, the organizing at Bessemer in Alabama, I believe. Is that the right state? Yeah, <clears throat> it's Bessemer, uh, Alabama. Absolutely. Bessemer, thank you. And Mumia Abu-Jamal, who underwent... Uh, heart surgery, um, and yes. he had just had a birthday on April 24th. So um, are all of you all in the studio, like two of you are in the same, on the same phone line, or like who's who's with me? <laughs> um, I'm on a phone line. <coughs> Sorry, I'm on a phone line. I don't know where Rachel is. Is Rachel on the line? I don't know. Um, so yeah. is that you, Nell, the other, other phone number? Or is it Rachel? No, this is Judy Greenspan. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, Judy. Can, can, can and you no, hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah there are two right. people. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, the way the way it looks on my end is like a real studio setup, and your phone uh, is a microphone, and I turn on your microphone, and then you can talk. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, so that's, that's the question. That's why I was like, who's in the studio? Okay, because sometimes <laughs> people people do, uh, you know, a, a three-way. And, and so I don't right. necessarily assume that everybody's not here, just two phone calls. <laughs> so <laughs> that said, okay. um, yeah, it was, um, I wanted to, um, I'm really happy that you are available on such short notice to talk about, um, you know, people strike um, Bay Area and, um and uh, other organizations, you know, documenting and and um, and honoring, you know, sort of the legacy of the workers and the union and the organizing um, on May Day um, this year because May Day last year was, um, I don't know, last year 2020 was. We're still we're still processing it as we move into another year. So I was wondering, um, I'm, I can read your bios first, and then and then we can talk. Uh, about 
you know, uh, the Poor People's Campaign and where we are with that and the organizers who are, you know, organizing unions in these large corporations that are making millions and billions of dollars and treating the workers really horrifically, uh, I mean, terribly. I mean, a person can't go to the bathroom without um, threat of being fired and losing, you know, his or her job. That's That's really criminal. And then... Also, you know, this is the year of the political prisoner and prisoners of war. And so what does that mean? And and then tomorrow, tomorrow, do we need to bring signs and put signs in our windows, like, you know, like in our cars? Like, how does that look? Because I am so coming. <laughs> so, um, great. So now, yeah, that's yeah great. thank you so much for keeping me in the loop. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. Um Nell, my hand, is an Oakland-based organizer, author, and speaker whose work brings people together across age, race, class, and other differences, forming alliances to create powerful, effective solutions to common problems that leave no one out and no one behind. She is a member of the Bay Area Poor People's Campaign Steering Committee, working locally and nationally to amplify the voices of low-to-no-wealth people and our demands for resources to meet our basic needs for housing, education, health care, and a livable climate. She also organizes with women of color in the Global Women's Strike, an international organization calling on all governments for a care income now that would recognize unwaged caregiving as work deserving of a wage. So, again, welcome, Nell. It's always wonderful to have you with us. Thank you, Wanda. Great to be here. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> oh. And then Judy, Judy Greenspan, you have been in the trenches working like it. I mean, I met you in the trenches, and goodness gracious, it seemed like they'd be paved by now, but they still trenches. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> oh, the system is still in power. We haven't oh, brought yeah, down the system yeah. that is forcing us in the streets all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we gotta we gotta keep strategizing until that happens because it is possible. It is definitely right. possible. Yeah, and you are an organizer with Support Alabama Era, uh, Support Alabama Amazon Workers uh, Bay Area, and a member of Workers World Party Bay Area. And you are an Oakland teacher and a proud member of the Oakland Education Association. So again, welcome, welcome, Judy. So um, Thank you. you can both chime in about, you know, um, the uh, the May Day uh, event tomorrow. Maybe maybe bring people up to speed on what is, you know, what, what is the tradition around May Day being International Workers' Day? Um, now, do you want to start or you want me to jump in? Start, Judy. Okay. So, you know, International Workers' Day has been, you know, traditionally a holiday by that uh, that workers, working people, people who um, who are trying to form unions, people who recognize themselves as workers have been a part of. Um, it has a very rich history, you know, dating back to the, I believe, the late 1800s, the early 1900s, when uh, when when working people would be shot if they dared to protest or they dared to demonstrate or they dared to go on, never mind, go on strike. And it's been a long history. And, you know, we live in a country where only 91, I'm sorry, only 9% of the working class is actually organized into unions. So we live in a country where the U.S. is a country where there are so many people who work, 
we're being super exploited, the fast food workers, the, the, the domestic workers, the gig workers, the, the sex workers, the trans workers, none of them are, are recognized in unions. So what we're trying to do, this, you know, what we try to do with May Day is we try to recognize the entire breadth of the working class, that the working class is, is, is black, Latinx, indigenous, it is undocumented, it, it is trans, it is, uh, you know, it is all the people who basically are fighting for their survival and against oppression. And that's the, the energy and, and fighting, of course, against the COVID uh, pandemic, which has struck our poorest communities the hardest. And also, you know, one of the things that we recognize with uh, International Workers Day is that People who are incarcerated, whether they're incarcerated in ICE detention centers or in prisons and jails, are also part of the working class. They are incarcerated workers, and we need to hold them up, we need to celebrate, and we need to demand their freedom this year on on International Workers' Day. Mm Yeah, yeah. That's a really important point, you know, that, um, that people who are incarcerated are workers, yeah, it's like we we don't we don't think about that enough, and right. uh, I mean they're not being paid quote a live a living wage. I mean it's even lower than people who are in the free right. world who are making right. who are not making a living living wage. And right. yeah, yeah, it's, it's a time of solidarity, definitely. Solidarity and, and, you know, this is this year, besides, you know, International Workers Day, I have to say it's the 50th anniversary of the assassination oh. of George, George Jackson and the Attica Rebellion. And when the, mm. when the brothers rebelled at Attica, one of their demands was that, they, that the prison system recognize prisoner unions and pay prisoners union wages. Mm. And so, you know, and this is something definitely that, that we're that we're all about, as well as as well as bringing in the fact that you can't have a worker struggle that doesn't recognize and uphold the Black Lives Matter movement and the struggle against police terror and police murders. And you know, there's an epidemic of that which rivals the COVID pandemic, and we have to stop that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So these are just some of the issues. These are the issues that we want to welcome into the caravan. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have just one issue, which is, you know, Workers of the World Unite, which is a great slogan, but it doesn't encompass the the struggles that, you know, the community uh, is involved in. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we, we just lost Nell for a moment. She's going to have to rejoin oh. us. So, so why don't you keep on talking? Talk about what's okay. going on with Amazon in Alabama. Okay. Just as long as we circle back to tomorrow, because I want to. Let, let people know how they can get involved for tomorrow for this. Oh no, no, journey. keep on going. No, but, go ahead. No, go ahead and tell people how they can get involved, and then we'll circle back here oh, okay. now. Okay. Oh, okay. Maybe, that, my maybe phone now service is sketchy. Oh, oh, that's I'm okay. Sorry, and I'm and I'm sorry, Nell. Just if I'm talking too much, just jump in and interrupt me. I'm so glad you're here because my phone service is sketchy. So, that's <laughs> 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 great. So, so um, yeah, go ahead. Go. Yeah. So what? I would add is that there is the work that's being done that's not recognized as work. Um, mm. You know, we we are in full support and solidarity with all the workers who are 
have work that is, you know, traditionally understood as work and that, you know, they deserve to be able to work um, in with dignity, you know, with working conditions that are not harmful to their health and their family's health for a living wage, right? Um, we, we are in full support and solidarity with that. And not only here, but around the globe, because we know that, you know, it's International Workers' Day. And so, you know, it's important for us to recognize that, you know, the people in Haiti who are fighting so hard for um, a democratically elected leadership there that, like the president, former President John, John Bertrand Aristide offered, you know, who was working to bring people out of misery into, you know, some kind of just just the most basic level of even dignified poverty. Um, and so, you know, we are solid about that. But we also know that here in the United States, 70% of the people who are living in poverty are women and their children. And partly that's because the work that women that are disproportionately due is not recognized as work, it's not valued, and it's not waged. And so we also want to include the work that's being done by people who are not receiving a wage. Um, if you remember when Bill Clinton changed the welfare system, one of the things they did was they put a work requirement on welfare and insisted that if you were going to receive welfare, you had to work. And what that did was it put so many mothers and other caregivers in a position where they had to take, you know, just whatever job they could find to be able to receive the welfare check. And the minimum wage basically never went up after that. You know, that's the, that's the thing is that it puts so many workers into the workforce who employers could then hire for cheap that it impacted the workers who were already in the workforce and made them even more expendable to the employee, to the employers. So, you know, we are, our fate is linked we are connected to each other. There's no way around that. And so we're, you know, also calling for um, organizations like the Welfare National Welfare Rights Union, which had an integral role in the, in the founding of the, the, in the establishment of the first Poor People's Campaign call from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King in 1968, shortly before he was assassinated. They, you know, they were in his ear about the need to, for poor people to come together. And um, the, the Poor People's Campaign, the new Poor People's Campaign, the National Call for Moral Revival, which was launched in 2018, 50 years after the establishment of the Resurrection City on the National Mall, which put pressure on the government to address what Dr. King called the three evils systemic racism, poverty, and militarism, the military economy. Um, and so the New Poor People's Campaign, had, you know, obviously we're not finished with that work. So we are 
doing that work and we've added ecological devastation and the distorted moral narrative of religious nationalism, which really um, is Christian, that white Christian nationalism that blames poor people for being poor and says there's not enough, which is absurd here. Um, and so, so, so yes, we are calling for um, an end to the violence of poverty, um, the, an end to the violence of unaffordable health care in a system where the same people who are making us sick are then selling us the cure for things like cancer, right? You know, we are through with that. Yes, yes. That's great. Um, Judy, do you want to um, to add or extend this and then maybe tell our audience how to make sure that they are in the right place tomorrow and do do we need to, like, make signs, like I said, um, I've got signs yeah. from last year that still work this year. <laughs> okay. Can I can I yeah. give you a two minute a two minute update on uh, Bessemer, Alabama? Because we sort of left that hanging. Oh no, no, definitely. Yeah, because oh, it sort of it really fits into what Mel is talking about. Because we really are mm-hmm. we're talking about, and and I I I meant to be a little more uh, maybe I wasn't as clear as I could be. People who the working class is basically the ninety nine point nine percent of the people who are not. You know, who are not millionaires and billionaires and, and, and super wealthy. And it includes a whole group of people who never had a job, who were never paid for the work that they did. It has to do with the unemployed. It has to do with the incarcerated. It has to do with undocumented uh, people who have to work under the table if they work at all, who never received any of the benefits, right, who didn't receive the stimulus benefits, who can't. Uh, who who don't uh, get welfare payments, who don't get access to public housing because of their immigration status. So many injustices. But um, in Alabama, Bessemer, Alabama, and remember Alabama, and everyone knows, I'm sure, you know, the seat of the South, the seat of the of Jim Crow, of the KKK, of some of the the worst, the most racist uh, treatment of Black people. Uh, was the scene of a, a heroic organizing drive for Amazon. Mm-hmm. And the South also, though, besides being this racist seat, also was a hotbed of working, worker organizing in the 30s. And there was a lot of incredibly heroic stories. Dr. Robin Kelly, who wrote Hammer and Ho, I really recommend people read it because it tells very clearly the role that, that black union organizers and black community members uh, conducted in the 30s, most of, most of which was knocked down uh, in the late 40s and 50s with the, um, with the, during the McCarthy era. But so in Bessemer, Alabama, very small town, I think there's 28,000 people. It's right outside of Birmingham. There is a, an Amazon plant of 5,800 workers, and the workers decided to try to unionize. They had an uphill battle. They approached the AFL-CIO, and the AFL-CIO, the, the top labor echelon, didn't want to give them the time of day. And they finally reached out to the Retail Warehouse and Department uh, Workers Union, RWDSU, and they said, and they're, they're the people that were, that were uh, organizing black poultry workers right next door, and they agreed to assist in the union drive. And Amazon pulled out the stops. They did everything they could. They, 
they, they had videos. They did intimidation. They set up a ballot box right in front of, the, of Amazon for the union vote to intimidate workers so that, you know, they would be afraid to put their ballots in. And the, the end result was the workers did lose. But they are contesting. The union is contesting. Uh, they filed objections with the uh, of unfair labor practice uh, charges to the National Labor Relations Board. But I think more importantly, what that union drive did is it really ignited. It, it, it ignited uh, and strengthened other union drives because while this was going on, there were wildcat strikes in Amazon plants. Teachers went out on strike. Uh, Poultry workers went out on strike. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people went out on strike, and many of us hope that this is just the beginning of the desire to organize unions and get justice for literally hundreds of thousands of workers who are making uh, barely survival wages. So um, it is. It is. So all I'm saying, you know, a lot of people got demoralized uh, in the movement. I'm not saying I don't think necessarily know if the workers did, but. A lot of people in the movement did, but we have to realize that the struggle to organize unions in this country, and there are not very many unions, and they're not very strong, and a lot of them are really sort of bureaucracies and don't really help in these efforts. We need to, uh, we, I think we can look forward to more efforts similar to what happened in Bessemer, Alabama. So um, let me just segue, and, and uh, Nell, Nell can join in, but for tomorrow, we're meeting at 2.30 p.m. for our Oakland May Day uh, car caravan and bike caravan. We're meeting at the Lake Merritt uh, BART stop. The, actually, we're, 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 we're uh, meeting at the Lake Merritt uh, BART parking lot, which is at 8th and Madison. So you can either BART there, and if you BART there, you, then you should have a car to get into, or you can drive there. From 2.30 to 3, we are going to decorate cars. We have a bunch of slogans uh, some of which I think Nell and I sort of outlined that we're going to have available to put on your car. We may also have some flags. There was an art build last night uh, over oh. at Lake Merritt. So, so hopefully there might be some flags. We're hoping for red flags to symbolize um, May Day. But um, you can also make your own signs. You can also make your own, uh, you know, uh, signs to put in your windows or on your cars. And then what we're going to do is at 3 o'clock, we're going to sort of uh, drive off. We're going to go first to uh, Amazon, the Amazon store, Whole Foods, and uh, have a rally there, stop traffic, have a rally for about 10, 15 minutes. We're going to go around the lake. We're going to show our solidarity. We were hoping, I think, to link up with uh, some of the Black Lives Matter organizing going on around uh, Mario Gonzalez. I don't think that's going to happen, but we will be going around the lake and then uh, eventually winding up at West Oakland, uh, at the West Oakland BART and, and marching to a housing justice uh, rally at an undisclosed site. So you've got to come on the march with us tomorrow, come on the car caravan, and we'll let you know where the final destination is. We're going to have a great sound system. We're going to have... Uh, radio so people don't have to get out of their cars if they don't want to uh mm-hmm. if they want to of course they can get out of their cars right oh, that's and, really awesome. yeah and ahead, we have um a set of hosts that include people strike of course ella baker center the gig workers rising has been really integrally involved anti-police terror project workers world party bay area as well as the purview campaign and others 
and then we have a couple dozen endorsers, you know, that also, you know, span a very broad spectrum uh, politically and demographically and include Churla, the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights, the Dandelion Affinity Group, HIV Prevention and Education Project of Alameda County, International Jewish Anti-Zionist Network, um, Poor Magazine, Party for Reclamation and Survival, right? So U.S. Prostitutes Collective. So, you know, we we have a lot of people who are supporting this action and, you know, showing solidarity with one another. Mm-hmm. As and well Wanda, as, you know, Wanda Sticks and, and my office, yes. SFA. Yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> oh, I wanna be, we want to be in there. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I wanted to mention, um, because I know probably um, – familiar with the organization um, uh, Legal Services for Prisoners with Children and All of Us Are None, and yes. um, particularly you, uh, Judy, with regards to um, um, California Coalition for Women Prisoners, because I think you are one of the people that, you know, are one of the founders. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, rem- I remember those organizing trips to um, to protest uh, at CCWF. Right. Um, right. Uh, you know, during a time when, you know, women's health was not a priority, it still isn't. Um, right. But people, you know, it was more in the news about people dying from preventable, mm-hmm. um, you know, illnesses. But I wanted to mention that on Tuesday, May 4th, is a virtual quest for democracy, and that's from 10 to 2 um, p.m. online. And if people are interested, you can go to um, Prisoners with Children dot uh, org or the Facebook to register in advance is free, um, but there is uh, going to be some political education happening right. prior to the lobbying efforts that are going to happen online, and it 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 was really well done last year. The online um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. version of you know the Quest for Democracy where we would go to Sacramento and lobby in the various legislatures around around important bills that we want passed, um, many of them written by um, the formerly incarcerated for those who are still locked mm-hmm. up and those mm-hmm. who are free. Right. Like, you know, the one mm-hmm. that, you know, every, people who um, who are out and have a, a felony uh, conviction uh, or had one, they can vote because we passed that last yeah. year, and that was because yeah. of this yeah. kind of organizing. It's a yeah. huge victory. So, exactly. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and I just know, wanted to mention that, Yeah, I know a major issue that they're involved in that uh, something that all of us should really be aware of is the whole issue of dropping LWAP, which is life mm-hmm. without parole. Yeah. Because that really mm-hmm. has re- – so the death penalty, there's a moratorium in California, but when you have life without parole, like someone like Mumia Abu-Jamal, that in and of itself becomes a slow death sentence because people's health mm-hmm. deteriorates and we need to get rid of LWAP. We need to get, we need to get people out of prison. Mm-hmm. We need, you know, we really need to free them. We need to totally, well, totally change the prison system as it, as it is right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so tell us about Mumia Abujima. What's going on with him? How, how was it, was his surgery successful? Uh, well, Mumia Abujima, who's been a, <clears throat> excuse me, He's been a political prisoner for over 40 years for a crime that he was really, he did not commit, that he was set up and uh, targeted because of his outspoken 
support of the MOVE organization and for standing up to the Philadelphia Police Department. Uh, So he's been in for 40 years. He is uh, in in Pennsylvania. Uh, He is a U.S. political prisoner, and he has suffered many, many health uh, problems because that's what happens in prison. You physiologically age much uh, faster than their chronological age because he just celebrated his 67th birthday. He's actually a couple of years younger than me. Um, But he, uh, they discovered they actually, I mean, he had COVID about three weeks ago, which was bad enough. And a lot of the elderly uh, prisoners are getting COVID and it becomes of course life threatening in prison. But then all of a sudden he disappeared from prison. He has a big support network. He has an attorney. He has a spiritual advisor. He has a doctor. Nobody could find out where he was. So he had been taken out to an outside hospital where he had open heart surgery. But the scary thing, nobody knew. His, his, his family didn't know. Nobody knew what had happened to him. And, of course, there is no trust of the, of the prison system or the, legal, the criminal legal system. Uh, by anybody in the movement at all. Uh, So it was, from what we understand, it was successful. Uh, There was some question about whether or not he was uh, shackled to his bed because Mumia, one of the things that he suffers from, he had uh, hepatitis C and he has cirrhosis of the liver, but he also has a very painful skin condition. And so the idea of shackling, I mean, the idea of shackling anybody or any prisoner to the bed, which is uh, unfortunately a pro forma, thing that they do with pregnant women they actually shackle pregnant women to the bed when they're giving birth which is just like the most horrendous human rights violation Uh, anyway people were worried about whether or not he was shackled as it turns out he was not he was not shackled he is um i believe back at prison in the prison right now wow (laughs) but his health is a time bomb you know his Mm -hmm. life could end at any time because he's very vulnerable to the next infection and he should not be in prison he is no. only in prison because of the vindictiveness, the racist vindictiveness of the of the criminal legal system in this country. You know, he was um, charged with supposedly killing a cop, which which uh, witnesses said he didn't do, and he said he didn't do, and he had a hanging judge, uh, Judge Sabo, mm-hmm. who at the time you know was known. And well, what we're trying to do right now is get the case reopened, get him get a new trial, and the DA there, Larry Krasner, who ran as a so-called progressive, uh, has basically uh, fallen in lockstep with the fraternal order of the police. Mm -hmm. So we actually had a demonstration at KQED on April 20th because KQED is airing a series called Philly DA, which lauds, you know, says what a great person Larry Krasner is, and we're demanding equal time Mm -hmm. from KQED to talk about Mumia's case and to talk about the serious situation that he's facing. Oh, keep so we posted had, on we had, that. We had, I'm sorry? Keep you posted, absolutely. Keep me posted yes, on I that, will. yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's possible, you know, we could get, if you want, you know, we could try to get somebody from the MOVE organization or his grandson has been, Jamal Jr. has been very outspoken and has really mm-hmm. been involved. And he might, you know, come on your show and, talk about oh, that his would be grandfather. Great. Yeah. Yeah, no, that would I would love to hear from him. Yeah, we um haven't had anyone on to talk about what's going on with Mumia and his case and his health. Um gosh, um I don't think at all last year. So that would be great. Right. That'd be really great. great. 
Yeah. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned that this is the year of the political prisoner because we get, we have to get them all out. There, mm-hmm. There's not just Mumi, it's Sundiata, Akoli, it's Matulu Shakur, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, Leonard Peltier. Mm-hmm. Oh, Leonard Peltier. Yes, Leonard Peltier. Yeah. yeah. And, and 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 Imam Jamil Amin. I mean, all of yeah. them have all of them are suffering. David Gilbert. Right. There's so many that you know. Right, and we just yes. looked at this Chip Fitzgerald, you know. We, yes, oh, Chip died? Yes, we did. Yeah. Yes, we did. Oh, well, Sorry to well, say. We Maybe like about two weeks three, ago, three weeks ago. Yes. Oh, yeah. wow, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's been in prison so, he had been in prison yes. so yes. Right. long. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. statement. His family issued mm-hmm. a statement, if I can find, his family issued a statement, oh. if I can find it, I'll send it to you, okay? Oh, okay. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I've had um, Elaine um, Brown, uh, Comrade Elaine Brown, on my mm-hmm. show many mm-hmm. times to talk about that case. And I think I met his daughter when we had the um, the millions um, million uh, prisoners march in Washington D.C. I went to that, mm-hmm. and um, right. I believe his daughter spoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh wow! I say to his memory because that was yeah. Yeah, Keila yeah. would talk about him too, and it was just right. Yes, just what happened with him, and just mm-hmm. being in, I mean, just vindictive, vindictiveness. You know, similar to, mm-hmm. um, you know, they keep our they keep our our family, your friends, comrades locked up because the state can. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Not about justice. It's about vindictive vindictiveness, and you know, and. Um, and power. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So um, do you want to give the details again about about um, May Day tomorrow, uh, May 1st, 2021? Okay. Sure. Well, um, first of all, I just want to note that there is a major demonstration of labor unions in San Francisco, which can't be ignored, which many people are going to which is starting at 10 in the morning at, uh, at Embarcadero and marching to Civic Center. However, it will be over by 1 o'clock. So that's why mm-hmm. we decided to hold our car at two. So you could do both if you really have a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> so at 2.30 at Lake Merritt Bart um, parking lot, we're going to assemble for a car and bike caravan. And it is really going to be too far to walk. So people who we we will be ending up eventually at the West Oakland BART. So if people you know really want to come later on in the day, they could meet us there around probably around five o'clock. Mm-hmm. But we're starting two thirty, and then we're driving to several sites around Oakland, and then uh, ending up in West Oakland at a housing justice rally and barbecue. It's going to be a celebration mm-hmm. of uh, the the struggle for uh, housing for all. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to bring anything other than yourself and hopefully a, a vehicle or mm-hmm. some people in a vehicle. And, uh, yeah, we're hoping it will be really a great we're, – we're hoping for a, a real show of visibility representing all of the demands that people in, in our communities are raising at this time. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So the, um, the first uh, demonstration um, gathering is um, – 
uh, in San Francisco, as you mentioned, at the uh, ferry, um, San Francisco Ferry Park on the corner of Drum and Clay Streets at 9 a.m., um, marching for worker power, racial justice, and a habitable planet from 10 to noon. Um, I think you already mentioned about the red flags, but people can also wear red. You could be the flag. Um, right. you know, uh, in, in <laughs> I love that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Although one, organiza- one organization, I think people strike Richmond asked everyone to wear black. So, you know, okay. red, wear black, wear whatever you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Yeah, um, right. Just, yeah. just come. Just come. <laughs> exactly. Right. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great, great. Well, cool. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. And uh, is there a way for people to be in touch after this? Um, like, are there websites uh, that they could plug into? I know you're both plugged into a lot of organizations because, you know, of the list and the um, the co-sponsors. Uh, do you want to give, a, like, a couple, one each or a couple of each? <laughs> sure. Well, people can reach me at California at poorpeoplescampaign.org, um, and I, you know, and I can whatever they're trying to reach me about. I can figure out if it's about Poor People's Campaign or if it's not, you know, connect them with people who are organizing this event. If they have, you know, they're trying to reach other folks. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And, and what website should they should they um, visit to keep abreast of? activities like this that they could plug into because you know the whole idea is to organize so some people are not organized right Mm -hmm. right well people can people can go to the people strike bay area uh, facebook page they could also Mm -hmm. go to workers world party bay area Um, people can reach me at uh, bay area at workers.org so that's workers with an s.org if they want to reach reach out but um, i think people strike is going to be live streaming the oh, nice. caravan, so okay. people can go there. So on on their Facebook site. Yes, on the Facebook page. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. 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 So if you come, you will be in the movie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so as much as you can put a car caravan in the movie, <laughs> we will have um, at five o'clock. There will be a rally um, at this undisclosed location, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you'll find out. We'll announce it on the caravan. And then there will be speakers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. yeah. It sounds really good, and I'm really happy that, you know, um, you know after all these years, Judy, you're still, you're still there in the trenches, you know, digging, digging. You feel like, older, like... Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm going to be fighting till my dying breath, so. I never heard of that. Okay. But, but I'm, awesome. I'm very yeah. happy. I'm very happy a lot of young people are coming forward and are, are getting involved, and I think that's yeah. key to the amazing struggle at this time. Yeah. 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 A lot of lot of amazing young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Wanda, we can't leave the call without also honoring you and the work that you do. You know, because yes, it, it really matters when we can help. You know, when we get help from people who our media workers to get the word out and let people know things are happening and keep people updated on issues that are important to them and and, and in some cases introduce them to information that they don't have or don't know. So thank you so much for all that you do. Right. Oh, you're quite welcome. Absolutely. Oh, you're quite welcome. 
So you take good care. Um, I know there's like some okay. fine tuning to get ready for the big day tomorrow. But um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. All right. Take and we'll care. see you in the streets. Yes, yes you will. will. <laughs> All right. Until <laughs> then. Take care. Mm-hmm. You too. Bye bye. So we are going to end the show once again with a rebroadcast of an interview with Don Monique Williams and uh Michael J. Asbury, who um Don Monique Williams is the director of uh the theater adaptation of Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye, which is currently up at Aurora Theater through May 21st. So if you haven't seen it, listen to seen it. <laughs> it's a radio play. Um, if you haven't heard it yet, you know, go on over to the website and get your tickets. And uh, it's really, really phenomenal. And um, so anyway, uh, let's see. Hmm. I'm looking and I'm thinking, uh, oh, no. All righty, so I'm going to play that right now. You take good care. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. And remember that um, April is um, sexual, uh, what is it, um, uh, sexual violence, see, sexual violence, it's Sam, um, sexual violence, uh Against Women Awareness Month, and I think I'm messing up the the acronym. Um, but this this is the 20th anniversary of of that particular um, sort of looking at uh, uh, sexual violence against women. And this this particular week is looking at how um, sexual violence impacts um, Black women. And so um, the theme is safety online, uh, safety in virtual spaces. And it couldn't have come at a, a better time because of the uh, the new way that we are engaging one another it has put a lot of people at risk, particularly um, girls, but also women, black women. And so, um, so that is uh, something that we're looking at. So, I want you to sort of keep that in mind as you listen to Don Monique Williams and Michael J. Asbury talk about this this wonderful work um, in a radio play iteration, uh, The Bluest Eye. This Eye, yeah, Toni Morrison's Bluest Eye adapted uh, for the stage by Lydia R. Diamond and directed in this uh Iteration, which is going to be, um, uh, Don, how would you characterize it? Is, is it a radio play? <laughs> I, I would characterize it as a radio play, yes. I think that's the best mm-hmm. way. I mean, we, we're calling it an audio drama, but for anybody that um, remembers radio plays, that's what it is. Right, yeah. And this particular, um, uh, I guess, uh, I guess iteration of the work, um, it's really, really reads so beautifully. I can hardly wait to see what you all have done with it. Yeah, Lydia did a great job on this adaptation. It's mm-hmm. quite faithful to um, Morrison's language while at the same time kind of um, making some powerful choices to essentialize the story and really focus in on the three young girls. Um, it's so beautiful what Lydia's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well, Wanda. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. So nice to hear your voice. It's been 
years, it feels like. It has. It actually has. It's been a good long time since I've heard your voice. So Mm -hmm. good to hear from you again. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to um, I'm going to read your bios, and then we could talk about um, the uh, the presentation of the bluest eye um, at the Aurora, which opens um, today. <laughs> and yes, um, it it continues through May 21st. You got a nice long run too. We do, we do. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with you, Don. So Don Monique Williams. Uh, joined the Aurora team as Associate Artistic Director in August 2019. A native of Oakland, California, uh, Don was previously the Artistic Associate at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, where she directed Mary Wise of Windsor in 2017. Her recent directing credits include Aurora's Bull in a China Shop, Lauren Gunderson's The Half-Life of Marie Curie, Theater Squared, Letters to Kamala, um, American Stage Company, Earthrise Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, Moon Man Walk, uh, Taijin and His Brothers, A Midsummer Night's Dream, American Conservatory Theater, MFA Program, and audio version of Lynn Nottage's Last uh, Meninas, The Secretaries, Profile Theater, uh, Willamette Week's Top Ten Portland Theater Productions of 2018, Romeo and Juliet, Chautauqua Theater. You are so busy, have been so busy. <laughs> <laughs> August Wilson, the piano, Lesson La Petite, and what is that? Is UNCO, is that the university or something? University of Northern Colorado, yeah. Okay, all right. Lynn Nottage's By the Way, Meet, uh, meet Stark, Douglas Morrison and uh, University of Colorado, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Town Hall. Uh, you've directed a range of plays, including the English language premiere of Grace Morales's NN12, Othello, Twelfth Night in the Blood, Steel Magnolias, Children of Eden, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, Little Shop of Horrors, Burial at Thebes, Medea, uh, Antigone Project, and LaRonda International directing credits include Edinburgh Festival Fringe, productions of Scappin or Scapin, Scaping, is Scaping mm-hmm. or Scappin? Scaping the Cheat, uh-huh. <laughs> um, Annabella uh, Ema, Ema. Mm-hmm. and The Tempest. Williams was a 2016 Princess Grace Theater Fellowship recipient. Uh, you were awarded a TCG, a leadership uh, U residency grant funded by the Mellon Foundation, and you were a former Killian Directing Fellow at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. You are an alumna of the Drama League Directors Project, and you hold an MA in Dramatic Literature and an MFA in Directing. Uh, and you really love directing, according to what we just said. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a proud member of the SDC. What does that stand for? That's SDC. the Stage Directors and Choreographers Union. Oh, okay, that's important. Um, and the, oh, that's what it tells me here, right? Duh. Okay, got it. <laughs> and um, Michael. Uh, Jay Asbury, Daddy, and Soaphead, and Charlie. <laughs> um, that is, Charlie, yeah. is, that, is that how you pronounce um, 
that uh, the last character's name? Is it Choli or Charlie? Charlie. Mm-hmm. Charlie, okay. Um, you returned to the Aurora where you were last seen in 2019's Exit Strategy and 2008 right. Satellites. I saw you in Satellites. <laughs> um, he most recently appeared in um, Las Meninas with Profile Theater. So you all were in the same production. Um, you yes. as director, Donald. Yes. Okay, right. Well, that's cool. Was that your first time working together? Um, I think that was our first time working directly together. We worked together, I think, three, two or three times since then. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and Michael, you've also performed with the San Francisco Mime Troupe, um, Best of Playground Festival, Zoom Fest. Uh, oh, that must be recent because Zoom is recent. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, that was within the last year. As a matter of fact, I think that was my first uh, gig during the pandemic. So, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sacramento Theater Company, uh, Capitol Stage Company, San Francisco Shakespeare Festival, Pacific Conservatory Theater, Theater Works, Shogun Players, and the Lorraine Hasbury Theater. Film and television credits include uh, San Andreas, Warren, uh, Warner Brothers, um, Chance, Hulu, Trauma, NBC, Nash Bridges, CBS, and voiceover for Pixar, Animation, Clorox, Pine Soil. I love the smell of Pine Soil. And the video game, Watch Dogs, too. (laughs) Well, again, welcome, welcome. So let's talk about the bluest eye. And um, as director... And I don't know if you have anything to do with programming, Don, but why did you all want to bring the bluest eye to the stage, not well to the audio to to the radio uh drama um, today and now uh, I just think about and you couldn't have you couldn't have necessarily anticipated it, but you could have given the um what's been going on in our country since we've been in you know sort of uh sheltering in place and distancing for over a year now because uh, I just think okay. about what the CDC director, you know, just, just announced around racism uh, as a um, a serious public health threat. Like, yes. okay, it's about time. <laughs> right. And this work. And this work. Well, um, I, I am a part of the season planning process at Aurora um, in my role Mm -hmm. as Associate Artistic Director, and we were looking at this play before the pandemic and certainly before the shutdown. So we Mm -hmm. had uh, programmed Blue Sky to be part of a staged in-person live season, and and that came to be because we were talking about, you know, classics um, and you know, Aurora, you know, Aurora isn't known for, like, Shakespeare, so not that kind of classic, um, but, you know, importance of being earnest, and they've done some Strindberg and stuff like that, and so Josh, the artistic director, said, well, you know, what about novels that have been made into plays? And, and, you know, I think everybody needs to expand their thinking around what is a classic. If Toni Morrison has not provided us with American classics, I don't know what author really has. So I shared this adaptation with Josh, naming that it's my favorite stage adaptation of a novel, and he really liked it. So we programmed it. Then mm-hmm. the shutdown happened. We had to reconceive all of our programming, and honestly, um, I wasn't sure if Blue 
eye was the thing we should stick with because of um, the violence that was happening against black bodies. Uh, Breonna Taylor was murdered at home in her bed, and I just was mm-hmm. like, we um, don't necessarily want to perpetuate more stories of trauma uh, within the black community. But the more I sat with the story and the more I was in the news last summer and hearing more and more about other uh, black women and black sims being murdered, being the victims of violence, I thought, uh, no, this story is messy and it, it is traumatic and it is complicated, but we need to tell it because we are not telling enough stories of black women and girls. We just simply are not, and I want to correct that. Um, so, uh, so we moved forward in conceiving of a way to do it as an audio drama, and we had to get permission to do so from the playwright and from the Tonia Morrison estate, so that took some time. But I'm really glad that we um, moved forward with this piece, but, but there was a lot of still given the content. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And Michael, what what made you want to um, uh, be a part of this production, and in particular uh, to portray um, this, this these characters, specifically Daddy? Uh, well, the Daddy role is not really a stretch for me, uh, being a Daddy. Uh, but um, <laughs> it's it's such a uh, powerful and poignant story, and the perspective. Uh, coming from these uh, young girls is one that I think is sorely lacking in uh, in our culture, uh, in the society at large. And so, uh, and also, I wanted to work with Dawn, and I had uh, been following her career before I had met her, and um, and I knew that she was a a. Uh oh. Oh. Oh, I wonder if oh, we right. lost. He, he dropped. He he dropped. Oh, oh. he'll call back. Oh, yeah, darn. I'm sure he will. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, because this this it happened before. Okay. Oh well, darn. Um, yeah, yeah. I just love these. Oh, there's there um there's Michael. Yeah, he's you're back. Am I back? Yeah, okay. you're back. Yeah. But anyway, I was saying that I was following her career, and I knew that she was a very talented and gifted uh, director. And so working with her was certainly was a um, uh, was something I was looking forward to the opportunity to do. But it's such a wonderful story. It's so beautifully written, and though it is harsh and um, at, diffi- at times really difficult to uh, to process, it's mm-hmm. it's real and it's honest and it's truthful, and uh, it's a story that I could certainly. Uh, connect to and relate to, and uh, I think that it's got enough uh, beauty and joy and um, uh, uh, encouragement within the uh, difficult elements to uh, sustain a beautifully told story. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. I just think about, you know, our beloved Toni Morrison um, and... Uh, yeah, she. I don't know. Has it been? Has it been three years now that she's made her transition? That she moved into the next realm? Somewhere around there, yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah coming yeah, up on yeah. it. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and that beautiful film that came out right before she passed, which was, you know, just a slice of her life—not the whole life, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. very, very, very well done. And uh, yeah, yeah, she. Um, 
uh, her work, this particular work, which was her first her first book published, right? Yes, yes, it was her debut novel. Turned fifty one mm-hmm. this year. Really? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow! Last year was the fiftieth anniversary. This year is the fifty first. Whoa, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and how she. How she didn't tell anybody that she had published a book and it was on another, and she was working for a publisher. That story is so funny, and right. uh, and and how it was published. You know, she didn't even tell anyone. She was doing her writing over here on the side and and doing her day job over there. And then it's like how you know someone's like, "Well, this is really good. Uh, you should let us publish you." <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that relationship that there's developed a, there's a great, with her editor after that. Mm-hmm. There's a really good documentary yeah. on her life on uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Pieces I oh, Am. It's a, really, really good. Yeah, that's the one I'm speaking of. Yeah, Pieces mm-hmm. That I Am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in that particular work, she talks about the white gaze, and maybe you could talk about, you know, this 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 really uh, beautiful child, Pacola, and and her little friends. And you know who are telling the story, and 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 then the the primer that really sort of uh, it kind of documents her life or the life that she doesn't have, the life of mm-hmm. you know the 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 dominant culture that she is not a part yeah. of. And she's like just watching. She's just watching everybody. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Picola is quite a fascinating character. Um, you know, I'll back up just a little bit to, you know, as Toni Morrison was famous for saying, um, if there are stories that you want to see that you that don't exist, write them. And so she wrote Bluest Eye from that standpoint. She actually grew up in Lorain, Ohio, which is the setting uh, of the of the novel and subsequent play. And, and she talks about knowing, you know, having grown up with a young girl who, who really desperately wanted blue eyes. Um, and so I I think for her, Picola was real. Um, the, and this idea, I mean, the white gaze, how damaging it really can can be um, to have these, these single stories, to have this primer with Jane, and Jane's life looks like this, and then that's reified by Shirley Temple on the TV. Um, and so Picola really hates <clears throat> herself, which is so unfortunate because, she is a, a bright and precocious and resilient little girl who's mm-hmm. taking on a lot in her, you know, very young life. Um, and, you know, the counterpoint to that is, of course, Claudia and Frida, her her mm-hmm. friends, her, her, her sort of surrogate sisters, these young girls that befriend her that she lives with for a spell, um, who come from uh, a family that is warm and nurturing and full of love, um, even though there's still sternness and discipline, uh, it's just a very different childhood that these other two girls are experiencing. And and what Lydia's done in the play is really focus in on on the on those two counterpoints. Um, and you know the message feels quite clear: the need to um, to protect black girls and to create spaces for black children to be black children and not to um, have them not see themselves reflected for not stop giving them white dolls, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. Stop giving them <laughs> heroes that don't that don't look like them. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like what happens to that doll that um, one of uh, <laughs> Cola's Cola's. Uh, Friends get for a present this this like blonde haired blue eyed doll that <laughs> is not appreciated. <laughs> Neither yeah. is Shirley Temple dancing with Bojangles either. That's a great scene. That's one. That's one way to put that. Yeah, not appreciated. I love how you said that. <laughs> not appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Um, Claudia is played wonderfully by Janae Simon. Um, in this oh. audio production, and this okay. moment Lydia captures in the play, and, and Janae makes such good work of it. It's, it's such a uh, beautifully um, uh, done moment. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and it I think it reveals the interiority that so many of us uh, wrestle with that maybe we only talk about um, in, in our inner circles. Um, so mm-hmm. I hope people really hear it the the harm that can be caused um, when you remove people's reflection of themselves. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think a similar, you know, looking at at your character, uh, Michael uh, uh, Choley, um as a boy, when when the person who raised him, you know, is no longer present, and and sort of like, okay, well, that's like. You know, he, he's young, so he hadn't been able to develop an interior, but he was found on a trash heap. Right. I mean, that right. must, I mean, yep. he knows that. I mean, it's like one thing to be found on one, another thing for somebody like to include that in the lore, that is your life. And you think, well, nobody wanted me. And the person that wanted yeah, me, them. now she's gone. It's like, well, what do you do with that insofar as having a positive self-image? Yeah, from the moment Charlie uh, arrives on the scene, he is uh, he mm-hmm. experiences trauma. You know, from being left on a mm-hmm. junk heap to being uh, mm-hmm. to losing the person that took him in to not having any guidance or uh, direction, and that basically colors and um, uh, moves his life. And it's mm-hmm. a really difficult, harsh road for him to travel, and it, it's hard to uh, to read. It's hard to do. And um, but it's it's real. It happened. It has happened to so many people. And mm-hmm. uh, finding the truth the truth in that uh, was an interesting journey. And it's uh, I think it's a powerful uh, character that she has written into this story. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, she. Uh, you know, the way that that we encounter this character in the work, um, he's not like he has a depth. And we don't like throw him away. Oh, he is just like a uh, what do you call like a figure that's not developed. That's a bad guy. Right. There's reasons right. for this this person, yeah. this character to, to to have developed into the husband and father that he is. That's right. Yeah, there's no excuses yeah. for his behavior, which is uh, abhorrent. Mm-hmm. No. But, yes, uh, they but are. There is an explanation. Mm-hmm. There is that is there is an explanation. He didn't just you know set out to be that way. He was. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are there are clear uh, reasons that we can point to for how things turn out the way that they do. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And and then I was thinking, um, for both of you, just some of these uh, tangible references around cold and heat, sticks and cold. You know. Um, <laughs> you know, just just not having, just not being able to be warm. 
and mm-hmm. and then also you know the the uh, the theme of migration, moving, and not having uh, a warm you know like family. You know when when Mrs. Breedlove talks about moving north and and how she left everyone behind. Because even if she's not yes. the most beautiful person on the screen, the people that loved her saw beauty. Yes. But when she moves, she's just an ugly black woman with an ugly black child. And the isolation, right, of being alone mm-hmm. in this yes. new place. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, um, I, I love, Wanda, that you bring up how cold and heat is operating in the text and and of course, Lydia incorporates that um, in the play quite, quite nicely. And there's a whole section of the play where they talk about, you know, outdoors and what it means yes. to be displaced and living outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, even a sample, like one of our teasers that we shared in our promotion um, last week, was of Michael as Daddy teaching the girls how to cut wood for fire in that juxtaposition. Yes. Again, if here's these two young girls who are learning a life skill, learning how to have heat, as you say, how to stay mm-hmm. warm, how versus stay warm. Nicola, who is outdoors, who does not have that protection, that shelter. Nobody's teaching her how to make fire, and we know fire is one of the key elements for sustained life, right? With fire, you have mm-hmm. industry, you have tools, you have, you have food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, the metaphor of fire is a rich one and goes, um, goes very deep. Um, and I love that um, that that even that you just even picked up on that and brought that up because of course the play takes us through the seasons so we also move through the fall and the winter um, and then we arrive you know in the summer but by the time we get to the summer um, our hopes have changed <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and so we starting you know starting with the cold how do you how do you win. You know, when you already start from that place. Um, And had she told the story in a different order, had we started in summer, maybe the results would have been different, you know. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then, you know, the things that Piccola notices, you know, like the dandelions, you know, and she sees beauty in the weed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And that it takes other people telling her that a dandelion is a weed, and therefore should not be regarded, that is what changes her mind. Um, mm-hmm. And that ultimately is the same thing that had happened to Mrs. Breedlove, right? Like in my imagination, Mrs. Breedlove is a perfectly attractive woman, like p- perfectly mm-hmm. fine, but she's not Jean Harlow, right? She's not these mm-hmm. white women in the movies. Um, and so, you know, the this, this story talks about this incident of her losing a tooth and how that sort of, becomes the yeah. final, uh, you know, uh, breaking point for her. Um, and it's that it took somebody else to say you're ugly, and then it becomes internalized. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. Un- it's unfortunate because that's in all of us, right? And if we, don't, if we don't have people helping us with the esteem, if we don't have people offering that affirmation to us from an early age, we might internalize um, the the negative. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Morrison was was driving to in writing the novel in the first place, right? The societal ills, the harms we mm-hmm. cause. When, 
Right. When we don't yeah. tell, yeah. When we don't tell everyone's story robustly. Mhm. Right. Yeah. So I was thinking, Michael, if you could reflect on, you know, daddy versus the other father. Um, they're such a different mm-hmm. person. Um, you know, oh, yeah. daddy has two daughters and a wife. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love, I love the. Um, I remember the Vicks vapor rub. I don't think my mother put it in my mouth. I saw, but I saw people do that, and they say they say it's not for consumption. I believe on the back of that thing, uh, that uh, it container, is not, not for consumption. that jar. Yes, I, they thought it was like I have yuck. Had, I have had Vicks vapor rub in my mouth, and I can confirm that it is not for consumption. And uh, <laughs> but it is a, it, it is a thing. <laughs> It is a thing that uh, many Southern parents did, and so uh, mm-hmm. I, I I remember being really tickled and amused uh, during that particular scene. But yes, there's a there's a huge contrast between the uh, the two characters, uh, the, all three characters actually, and mm-hmm. uh, moving in between them is uh, is, is that was a chore. But uh, because mm-hmm. I saw the uh, the truth. And the uh, what's so genuine about each one of them? Uh, that's what I was able to find in trying to uh, play them, and you know, bring them uh, to the mic. I guess that's kind of bring them to the stage of the screen <laughs> to bring them to the microphone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell us, tell us about Soaphead. Soaphead uh, also has had a uh, fair share of trauma in his life. But the way that he chose to address his is to direct it into a spiritual and religious uh, direction. And so that's how he chose to address his trauma, and it um, dictates how he relates to people and moves and moves within his life, uh, as, as opposed to Charlie, who was so traumatized that he had no, there was no sense of direction, and he didn't seek that. But Sophie had found it, uh, was fortunate to find some sense of direction in religion, uh, whether it's misguided or not, is for the listener to uh, determine. But um, <laughs> that is the way that he chose to uh, to navigate his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, um, you know, thematically going back to um, what you have raised, uh, Don, around the fire element, and I was thinking about alcohol as as fire, water, and um, and then when you were talking about not seeing ourselves represented um, in in the dominant discourse or larger society in a positive way, I was thinking about um, the uh, um, <clears throat> the notion of how we we come to know ourselves through the reflection that of of or affirmation of ourselves of our of our self image. So we don't if we are not affirmed you know, by other, then then we don't exist. Uh, we exist as the, as the projection says we are. And um, so the social construct is really, really important, and that's why, um, you know, we have um, Claudia is able to even have another, um, another perception of this doll, because she's yes. in a an, because she is in a family that loves her so because otherwise how would she know <laughs> you know that yeah. that she wasn't the doll <laughs> you 
You know, she right. had this this identity outside of this thing that doesn't look like anybody in her family. Yes, I love and and um, Claudia talks about this right. Her clarity about white people, mm-hmm. uh, white girls in particular, are treated differently, and that she understood that from a very young age. I mean, Claudia in the story right starts at nine years nine years old, and she already had mm-hmm. this um, understanding. Um, mm-hmm. But she's able to say that because she's in a household where she knew she was loved. You know, she talks about, the war- again, the warm hands, the warm mm-hmm. hands of her parents, um, when, you know, when her mother gives her that Vic style. Um, so, um, so I, I mean, this is, this is, I've been calling it a triumph, and it is through Claudia's lens that I can say that it's a triumph because Claudia becomes the storyteller. She's the culture bearer. She can bring it mm-hmm. forward. She's the she is the proof, the evidence that when we understand that our value does not exist in <laughs> whiteness, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. then we then we can uh, persevere. Um, yeah, Michael, uh, you were going to say something. I was. Um, uh, you kind of to put it all together uh, for me, but um, I was just going to say that Claudia's ability to have that perspective stands in such stark contrast to Piccola's self-image, and uh, it brought to mind the scene where Piccola goes into the store, seeing Mr. Yabakowski's store, and she expresses how she is even, she's invisible, that he doesn't even realize that she's there. He looks at her, but doesn't even connect to her as being present. And um, so she feels completely invisible, like nobody's paying attention to her at all, whereas Claudia is able to understand how she is perceived and understand the difference and uh, rebelling against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, who would you say the audience is for, for this production? Who would you like to see um, um, in the studio listening? Wow, um, that's I mean, a, that's a deep question. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, my first response is like, I did it for the culture. <laughs> right, so, right, um, right. I would love to 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 share this um, with our inner circles, with our family, with people who have this um, this deep personal resonance with it. People that will will. Say, oh my gosh, yes! I like how Michael shared. Like, yeah, I had the VIX <laughs> put in my mouth um, mm-hmm. for people who maybe had that feeling watching Bojangles dance with Shirley Temple. Like, something about that's not right. Um, and and for anybody who ever had a moment of feeling like they needed blue eyes or long hair, straight hair, you know, mm-hmm. blonde hair, whatever, um, to then feel affirmed in knowing that like you don't you don't need any of that. Um, but I also, not but, and I also hope that um, Morrison, Tony Morrison fans of all walks of life and, and races and creeds would give it a listen as an appreciation for this classic American tale that is now in its 51st year. Um, and this is such a superb, fine cast of local Bay Area talent. It's Aurora's first all black play. Really? Um, really. It is yeah. Aurora's first all black cast and black creative. Ah. So, 
the oh. sound designer is Elton Bradman, who I think is a local legend. He's designed many, many shows um, mm-hmm. locally here in the Bay Area. Um, and we even had a black woman, Elisa Mascol, as our stage manager with us on the journey. So um, so we really, to, to the best of our ability um, on that endeavor, tried to create a black space that held affinity for the artists in the project so that we could be honest and vulnerable with one another so that we could rise to the challenge of this work and not feel mm-hmm. like we were under the white gaze. So, um, so, you know, we rehearsed and recorded all remotely via Zoom so people are in their homes and we can't touch each other to offer that in, in, embrace of reassurance. So what we could do was kind of, you know, just keep the Zoom room um, as brave a space and vulnerable a space as possible. So, um, so the like leadership of Aurora um, came in uh, very rarely, you know, to kind of do the the regular administrative functions like hear, read through, and offer some notes. Or, but um, but rehearsals were pretty um, closed so that mm-hmm. we could have honest conversations. Right, you know, wow. we could talk oh, about wow. what it meant to grow up black, and Michael was the only man in the cast, so there was also a lot of energy around what it means to grow up as black women, um, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of us are sort of multi-ethnic black people, so where that sits in our identity, and Michael mm-hmm. raised a daughter, so having that perspective too, like he says, of playing daddy, that's an easy role for. So, so that we could really be ourselves in that space and talk about, you know, who was the dark-skinned person in their family and who was the light-skinned person and what did it mean in our families, that migration that you talk about, like what did it mean when our parents or grandparents uh, moved out west or up north or, you know, so, um, so that we could build the show with integrity. And, and so for that reason, you asked about the audience. I want everybody, I want everybody um to listen, I really, I really think that everybody can can have an appreciation for this work and learn. But um, but it would be especially meaningful for me, um, for our black folks to listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, so how how was it for you, uh, Michael, to be um, the only man and to have raised a daughter? And this is about little girls and their fathers. The story. And also the larger story is, you know, the oppressiveness of, you know, structural racism on, you know, being able to have a black family that's thriving. You know, there's all these different economic pressures, not to mention the racial pressures, which are based on, you know, which which make the economic situation what it is. I mean, yeah, it's just my father, I'm from New Orleans, and my father... um, Headed out of New, out of New Orleans because he couldn't be a man in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, it, it fortunately through this walk, uh, my journey through the arts. This wasn't the first time that I was the only male in a cast. I've had that experience a few times before, so that was not unfamiliar to me. Um, mm-hmm. And what I when I'm in that position, uh, I know that <laughs> part of my role was to be quiet and pay attention. And so I did that and listened to the story as it unfolded and um, and uh, inserted where I felt like it was appropriate, as opposed to um, in, in terms of um, navigating the world through, uh, I guess, the society. That's the story of my family. My uh, grandfather came to 
he came what was west for him from Mississippi to Chicago uh, mm-hmm. for a better life. He he was basically forced out through an event that happened in his life that he had to leave and take our family to Chicago and Gary, Indiana. And then from there, my dad joined the military, and that's how uh, I arrived here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the path that many of our uh, ancestors and uh, four parents have uh, have had to walk. Uh, it just is. And I draw on their previous experiences, like they had to go through harsher conditions than I did. So that's something they were able to make it work. And so as a result, I have to make it work. I have to find a way to make it work. I have to navigate the uh, difficulties and hardships and inequity and find the positivity in it. Even if it doesn't appear obvious, you have to find it. You have to create it. You have to make it. And that's kind of how I've tried to uh, work that out. And uh, kind of to uh, join with Dawn on who I want to see the production, or hear mm-hmm. the production, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, for the culture, yes. I want black folks to come out and see it and hear it, support it, and connect to it, because I think that we there's a, a kinship to this story that I think that many uh, black folks will have. But I can also say that I have a uh, overwhelming number of non-white friends and associates that are contacted me through social media that are extremely excited about hearing it. And so um, hopefully they will share with their friends uh, that are uh, non-black and um, we'll get a broad audience because it is a universal story. Uh, regardless mm-hmm. of the cultural specificity of it, I, I do think that it's a universal story and that uh, people can connect to it if they hear it and um, give it a chance. Just like we can connect to stories under all circumstances, uh, I believe that other folks can too. And so I'm looking forward to whoever is interested in hearing it, get a chance to uh, listen to it and check it out. It's a, it's a beautiful story. And it's uh, something, there's something out there for everybody, I think. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um, before we go, I was wondering, um, uh, Don, if you could mention the other members of the cast and, and their roles. Um, I just think about Kathleen uh, Ridley as Absolutely. Mama. Absolutely. Yes. And yes. I was like, whoa, that's yes. going to be something. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. And this and it is a dream cast. The alchemy on this was so right, so right. And um, Michael and Kathleen Ridley, who plays Mama, Mrs. Breedlove, they were actually roles way back when we were going to do it um, as a live in-person play. We had already started the casting process, and Michael and Kathleen were um, the already had received offers. So I was so thrilled that they could, they were still available to to do the project when it transferred to audio. Uh, the cast is rounded out by Janae Simon as Claudia, as I mentioned, Sam Jackson plays Frida Darlene. Sam was uh, last seen in Aurora, at Aurora in Exit Strategy with Michael, and prior to that she had done Splendor. Um, but she's a local SF-based um, actor who's done a lot of work. Picola is played by Jasmine Williams, who is it's just a huge point of pride for me. I've known Jasmine since she was – well, Michael's known her even longer, so I guess I can't <laughs> even – I can't even brag. But, I, you know, I knew Jasmine as a young talent when she was still in – college and I directed her in her first Shakespeare play. I just, I, she did Bull in a China Shop last year at Aurora Theater mm-hmm. under my direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam, Janae, Kathleen, 
Michael Chasman. <laughs> that is that is our cast, and um, <laughs> and they had all worked together in various combinations. So there was already a lot of love in the room. Like Michael nice. and Kathleen, they've been working together for like twenty years. They've worked on so many things together, and like Michael and Sam had worked together, and Michael knew Jasmine <laughs> since she was a child, and. And I had worked mm-hmm. with Janae, and Michael had worked with Janae. And so it was just <laughs> such a beautiful, um, like, coming together of this group of, mm-hmm. of humans um, who I had all yeah. just so long admired and was eager to put in a room together. Oh, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. Yeah, I got a, I got a response from uh, Jasmine, who is busy today, but we're going to try to work something out next week. And Janae, she said she was busy today, but we might be able to – you know, continue these conversations. You know, um, oh, that would be so wonderful throughout throughout the yep. run. Um, yes, or not really run. Yes, I guess you can call it a run. If, if, if we're ready. I mean, we're calling it a run. This is a run. Okay. We're calling it a run. This is this is definitely a run. Okay. Super. Super. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. I, I would love that, Wanda. If you got an opportunity to um, to connect with other members of the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that'd be really cool. I mean. Yeah. Those women are just so, so dynamic um, yeah. in the mm-hmm. range of talent and experience and just the vulnerability and so much heart. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wanted to ask you, what year uh, is the Aurora? Like, what what season is this for you all? Oh, is it 29th season? This is our 29th yeah. season, um, and we are um, currently programming for a 30th season. Um, that we hope will be fully uh, returned to the space in person. We're not, you know, we're waiting for, see what happens with the local guidelines and and the union protocols, Uh, but we hope to be um, back in our space. That will feel so lovely. (laughs) Yeah. To be in a theater, um, in a theater. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would um, love to just take a moment. Our our commissioned writer, our ONG commissioned writer this year is Cleavon Smith. And, oh, for um, real? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Cleavon is so awesome. He's my yes, colleague he at, in Peralta Community College District. Oh, is he still working or is he oh, did he retire? Cool. He is. Very no, cool. okay. he's, still, he's still working. Um, okay. And he's working on a piece um uh, that's what we're waiting to find out. That's the title of the piece. And we are doing a um, developmental reading open to the public. You know, it, it'll mm-hmm. be uh, donation-based, so free and open to the public on June 5th digital, you know, so it'll still be streaming. Um, but mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, it's dealing with, you know, it's, it's, it's dealing, uh, you know, it's an all-black cast, and it'll be dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, these um, ideas of what revolution looks like and the intergenerational thoughts and theories and do we is, is there a radical middle <laughs> or mm-hmm. is there only radical <laughs> so oh, nice. so I'm I'm pushing hopefully that we're able to produce that once we're back in our building full production but this reading is coming up um, uh, so I want to get Cleavon's name out in the world mm-hmm. and I'm directing it too so selfishly <laughs> Plug. <laughs> uh, nice, nice. So when is when is the nice. reading? That reading will be um, June fifth, um, okay, and okay. we'll make sure Wanda that you get um, all the information you need on that. And it's it, like I said, it's uh, open to the public, digital, 
Um, Mm -hmm. So it'll be streaming. Um, That'll be like right on the heels of closing Bluest Eye. Um, Mm -hmm. So be interesting to kind of see where the conversation kind of, you know, in the in the relay, see how that one passes the conversation off to to this mm-hmm. one and Cleve on such a gifted yeah. writer. Cool. I'm thrilled to hear so that you know tell... him and that you work with him. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've had Cleve on my show. Oh my goodness. I think every every play of his that I didn't miss. I mean, if I knew about oh. it Levi, can you join us? <laughs> and I tried, and I tried to make sure I was in the house for all of them because I love, I'm, I'm a fan. I just love his thinking. Um, I think the last play of his that I saw was the one that he did at um, Theater First. Yes. It was a commission. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they had the two women, the the two black women. The Jasmine. Yeah, Jasmine was one of those. Yeah, Jasmine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One was a revolutionary, and the other one, right. yeah, and then there was stuff happened that really complicated things because, yeah, revolution is hard, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's no joke. Yeah. People die, yes, you get, you know, you That's get right. challenges that try to compromise your values, and sometimes you sell out, right. or people think you sold out, but you really didn't sell out. You know, you were more That's like right. Booker T. Washington and W.B. The Boys, like, nobody sold out. <laughs> We're just yes. trying to work yeah. it for the people. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Malcolm X and Martin King, same thing. That's right. Like some people have guys. families and some don't, so they have different sacrifices that they have to make. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, is, yeah. it is complicated. Yeah. It's very complicated. Wow, so I'm really happy he's still on the theme of revolution. <laughs> <laughs> still out there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask you, um, Don, if you could tell our audience how to get tickets and make sure they don't miss anything at the Aurora coming up, but presently specifically, um, you know, how do they make sure that they are in in the space, are tuned in for the Bluest Eye, which opens the today? Yes. Mm-hmm. Today, well, starting today, you can go to auroratheater.org. There's a big banner thing to click on that says buy tickets. And um, it's online, same as you could have in the before times. And then you'll get a link. Uh, you'll pick a show time, same as you would have in the before times, and then you'll get a link. And that link is good for 24 hours. So you'll click on that link, and starting with the selected show time, you'll have 24 hours to um, listen. And it's, um, it's, uh, it is an audio drama, but it is voice over picture, so you'll see the actor's headshots, and it's, there's captions available for anyone who needs captions. So if you want the captions, you can watch that on your screen, or you can just let it play while you um, sit and meditate or run in place or whatever you do when you listen to audio books or radio plays. Um, so that's auroratheater.org. Big button that says buy tickets. You pick a performance date. Again, we run through... May 21st, and then you have a 24-hour window, so you don't have to sit at 8 p.m. and listen right at 8 p.m. You have 24 hours before your link expires. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. And if you if you love it, you can go more than once. <laughs> you definitely can That's right. Um, That's right. go more than once. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we have a we, we, we encourage you to go more than once. We have a friends and family um, code, and I'm 
going to do the thing where I'm going to say that everybody that listens to Wanda's picks is family, and I'm going to I'm going to give out this code. Um, so it's bluest with a capital B, the word bluest, capital B, C N C fifty, and that will get half price tickets. So capital oh, wow, B, bluest, nice. Capital C, the letter C, capital N, the letter N, capital C, the number 5050, and you'll get half-price tickets. That's for friends and family. So if you listen to Wanda's show, you are, you are friends and family. That's right. Oh, That's wow. Right, friends. Nice. Well, now you really can go twice. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, you can have a couple of parties, a couple of listening parties. Okay, invite these friends over, Look, and then invite some yes other friends indeed. over. Yes, <laughs> and then you can have have a have a conversation. You know, brought over the people that yes. you're sheltering in place with, right? Because everyone, a lot of people have those those groups. Or you can yes. be outside right. listening at yes. a matinee right. kind of kind of situation. <laughs> and I really, you know, I really do encourage the the listening parties. Um, you know, I have friends that, you know, I'm watching things with uh, digitally and listening to things with digitally. And again, mm-hmm. because this, because our software is linked to like Vimeo, you can pull it up on your phone or computer, but then like cast it to your TV if you're using like Chrome or if you have like Roku um, mm-hmm. so that it can play on your speakers in your, in your house while you have dinner or whatever. So um, community um, around listening. Um, and, of course, Vic does come with a content advisory, as we've kind of alluded to. There are some traumatic things, and there's the, there are scenes of violence, sexual violence and self-harm. So um, people should make their choices with that information. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it also sort of encourages a person to not listen alone. Like you should have, yeah, have to be in community. community. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, that, it's that kind of work. You want to talk about this, <laughs> just like yes. we have. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm I haven't so even seen. To you. I, yeah. Yeah, this is, oh, wow. I'm really looking forward to it. I remember the last time I saw The Bluest Eye was on stage at the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Lorraine Hansberry. And, Lorraine Hansberry. That's yeah. Right. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I think uh, Stanley directed it. And it was it was it was um, being staged at the same time that the color purple was also the musical <laughs> was also being produced, and I can't remember the name of the theater in San Francisco, but we had two two plays, and Alice Walker actually came to one of the productions of The Bluest Eye at Lorraine Hansberry Theater because people said, "There she is." <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I was thinking, I don't know who the um, who adapted it for the stage, but I think this production is different. It's new. Is that correct? Well, Lydia did this in 2005. Okay. So, oh, so it could have been the same um, I believe one. It, I believe it, it was. Yeah, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was the same one, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. It was so powerful. I, I was yeah. so happy I went to a matinee so I could walk around. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Oh, wow, that's the same playwright. Oh, my goodness. 
Wow. And then I think about I think about Toni Morrison. Then I'm gonna let you all go because we could be on the phone for a minute. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about I was thinking about the uh, Toni Morrison's jazz and um, and the adaptation for Sage at the um, Marin uh, Theater Company. That was that was really really beautiful. Um, how um, I'm I'm drawing a blank on the uh, the play, the playwrights. Um, Name? Do you know who I'm speaking of? Um, I don't know off the top of my head who did that adaptation. Yes. She's from Chicago, and she also did the adaptation of Richard Wright's uh, uh, Niambi E. Kelly. Yeah, Niambi. Yes. Yeah, Richard oh, okay. Wright's um, okay. um, Native Son. Yes. Yeah, <clears throat> Niambi. She she is phenomenal, and she's an actress too. Like, well, she's an actor and she's a playwright. Wow, Don, I'm scared of y'all. Like, y'all just do everything. <laughs> Like okay, <laughs> but it's so good to have sisters in these roles, writing the plays, directing super the plays. Superpowers, superpowers. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael. Um, I'm happy to have you here too. But sorry, <laughs> though. <laughs> right, no. Like I said, I've learned to be quiet and listen and just pay attention and, and drop in what I can. I understand. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was so lovely. And thanks so much for for taking my unsolicited uh, email. But I kind of like hold on to them and I just did a search. I'm like, who do I know that's in a key role? Yes. (laughs) I'm so grateful that you reached out. So grateful. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, looking forward to seeing you all in person. But you all are some of my favorite people. You're telling important stories. Um, you know, these are important stories, and I'm so happy um, with the audio, um, you know, radio iteration of this. We're going to reach larger audiences and, and, you know, really truly look look at how, you know, story story heals our people. Narrative, yes. narrative healing mm-hmm. is a real thing. And so, yeah. and we have to talk about these things. We so, um, we do. So, yeah, so. Mm-hmm. So, so besides being entertaining, you know, it's also a sustenance kind of thing. You know, art is not um, something we can take or leave. No, no, it's, it's real necessary. And this is a necessary That's kind of good. story. And you all are doing really important work. So I want to thank you all for taking on this challenge because I know it's not easy. It wasn't easy being involved in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Wanda. I mean, you said it best that. We need to we need art to heal. So thank you right. for having us. Right. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You take good care, and I know you all are going to be back again. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh, I'm looking all forward right. to it. Care. Oh, certainly. Bye bye. Bye. Peace and blessings. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. Ah, so this was a really wonderful, wonderful um, edition of Wanda's Picks. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to another edition next week. Um, if you want to know about some of the Wanda's Picks uh, editions that are maybe not on Wednesday and Friday, just follow us. Or better yet, get the app. <laughs> Peace and blessings, everyone. <laughs>